This show is a part of the FM Podcast Network. Visit us at fmpods.com. When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Well, I'm walking down the highway with my suitcase in my hand. Yes, I'm walking down the highway with my suitcase in my hand. Lord, I really miss my baby. She's in some far-off land. This is Pod Dylan that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, part of the FM Podcast Network. I'm your host of Freewheeling, Rob Kelly, and joining us to talk about Down the Highway from 1963's The Freewheeling Bob Dylan is fellow Bobcat Annie Burkhardt. Hi, Annie. Hi, Rob. I'm so thrilled to be here. I'm so thrilled to have you here. You know how the show starts. I have to ask you, how did you become a fan of Bob's in the first place? Well, I actually, having grown up as a child of two folkies in Minnesota, <laughs> at least I hope it's okay with my parents if I call them folkies, but um, <laughs> they never listened to Dylan, even as folkies in Minnesota. I never wow. understood that. Um but I think it's, it was very symptomatic of the types of things they liked. Most of what my mom listened to was a little too like saccharine and polished for me. I think I was born when she was listening to Priscilla Herdman and she likes like Christine Lavin, Sarah Brightman, Richard Marks, David Pomerantz. My dad really likes like the Carpenters and Brad. He has a, a music taste that I jive with a bit more, but um, I never heard a lot of the kind of gravelly, honest, and what I think of honest and raw voices that I really love, like Dylan or Zevon or anything like that. Um, but I had a lot of Bob-adjacent experiences. Um, one group that my parents listened to a lot was Peter, Paul, and Mary, which, you know, there's a connection there with Free sure. One of my first sonic memories was hearing both Puff the Magic Dragon, of course, and their wildly successful cover of Blowing in the Wind. So when I heard it again on Freewheeling, I was like, oh my God, this this is exactly what this song should have been when I was a kid. So that that was really lovely. Um I actually properly got into Dylan when I was 16, which I, I've listened, I've like binged a lot of Pod Dylan by now, and it sounds like 16, 17 is like this really ripe age for <laughs> pop into your life. I actually, I really loved the episode with Emma Swift talking about Blonde on the Tracks, and she said something that really stuck with me. Um, at, I think she said she was 17, but at that age, our hearts are ready to be capsized, and I, I absolutely <laughs> loved that. Absolutely perfect. Um, my first Dylan recommendation was actually pretty appropriately based on what Emma said from the first person I fell in love with. And that person was someone I was with on and off for 17 more years. So it seems really appropriate that, you know, he capsized my heart along with Bob and he's the one who turned me on to Dylan. So after that recommendation, I went to my hometown independent record store, Toontown in Mankato, Minnesota. <laughs> and I decided I'm just going to buy the first Dylan album I see on CD. That's kind of what the jam was when in 2006 when I was 16. So I walk up to the Dylan section. I grab the first disc I see. There's and like I 
I, you know, I've resolved to buy it, whatever it is, but I see the cover of this album and it's actually not freewheeling, but I'm sure everyone will know what it is when I describe it. It's this blurry photo, this stern faced, messy haired clown with a <laughs> scarf on. I'm like, okay. I, you know, I just, <laughs> I said, okay, I'm, I'm gonna go through with it, gonna do it. And obviously the first thing I hear, rainy day women. And, you know, as a 16 year old who honestly had probably never even thought about marijuana at that time, by that time <laughs> in my life, I was like, wow, I was, I was still really taken in by him. I was like, you know, this is honest. This is raw. And, um, just, I do like this really unrefined quality that to me does feel more honest in music and in poetry. I, I wrote poetry at a young age and have done so for as long as I can remember. And obviously our, our Nobel laureate, Bob Dylan really spoke to me. I, I, I'm one of the minority who thinks he really deserved that award, whether he thinks so or not. So, um, yeah, he just, he really spoke to me. I listened to Blonde on Blonde for, and nothing else, probably for a solid, Three months. If anyone rode in my car during get out the vote in the 2006 <laughs> midterm elections, they heard one of us must know and commented on it. And that was just like tremendously fun. <laughs> there's a lot there. I mean, that, yeah. if, you, if you're going to start at a record, there, that, there's a lot to churn on for three solid months out of Blonde on Blonde. Absolutely. So now your parents were not Dylan fans despite being folkies in Minnesota, that almost seems kind of impossible. Like how did, how did they maintain residence in the state or whatever? Did they just not like Bob? Cause they clearly must've heard him. Absolutely. They still don't like him. I think it'll, it might be minorly pulling teeth to get them to listen to, to this episode. I'm sure they will and they'll enjoy it, but it, it's not something that's connected with them. I mean, my mom likes truly, truly beautiful voices and we, that's just one thing that not many people will will hand to Bob. After the three months, like, do you go then? You're just buying records after that, or was it a longer process? Yeah. I am. I I really think the next album I picked up was Freewheeling, and that was just when it absolutely connected. And I was like, man, this guy is my favorite. And I really like. I I have such a vivid memory of just plopping the CD in my little clock radio that had a CD player because those, <laughs> as we know, existed back then. And I would just listen to it over and over. I mean, the first song I heard, of course, on that one was Blowing in the Wind. And my whole experience with that song has been like that, Um, what is it, the broke, woke, bespoke meme of that brain that gets slowly enlightened. I don't know. Oh, right. Right, what I'm right. talking about, but broke yeah. would be Peter, Paul, and Mary. I think woke would actually be Bob Dylan, and then bespoke to me is the Sam Cooke cover. It's just, it's so delightful. I I I maybe I shouldn't say that on this show, but it it kind of gave me this extra bit of uh, feeling and uh, urgency behind it that I just really enjoy. And of course, there's a long dialogue between Dylan and Cook that I'll be excited to discuss a little bit more. Absolutely. Well, like I said, why, why are you afraid to say that on the show? I don't know. I, I, I get a little nervous about 
making any grandiose claims about Bob Dylan. And I know you and I discussed this super briefly when we talked about my appearing on this show. Um, I kind of feel like I definitely get imposter syndrome talking to Bob fans because I'm not the 10th level Bob Dylan fan that you described, or at least I wasn't a month ago when we first chatted, like preparing for this and everything has kind of gotten me back in there. But I just, and that's why I love this show. You're so endlessly welcoming. You want all perspectives. Like there's, there is no, there's no gatekeeping as you tweeted recently. And it's just wonderful. So I, I just never know if I, um, <laughs> if I have the authority and credibility to, <laughs> um, say Bob Dylan is less than someone else. Oh no. I mean, oh, I've said that on the show a bunch of times. I mean, it's, there aren't that many, but there's, right. the, there, there's, there's the occasional cover of sure. Bob songs that I like more than Bob's version. It's like, yeah, we, well, okay. Just for people listening to the, and in terms of the, the, uh, the, how we're getting these things recorded. Uh, this episode that I'm doing right now is the first one I'm recording post my trip to Tulsa, where I spoke at a panel post first one, seeing the Bob Dylan center and stuff like that. And one of the things that I did discuss and, Again, by the time you hear this episode, you all have already have heard the Tulsa episode, the Tulsa focused episode, which is dropping a week before this one. One of the things I discussed on the panel was, yeah, I don't, I, I really despise gatekeeping and in all forms and all fandoms. I've dealt with it in other fandoms because I, there's lots of other things I like. To me, the work exists to be enjoyed, interpreted, internalized by the listener and it doesn't matter whether you have all the records or heard all the because lord knows i haven't heard all the live versions of all along the watchtower and right. i don't really want to <laughs> I don't, after around version 500 i'm i'm good i think i'm good <laughs> that so yeah i i absolutely want as many diverse things as uh, diverse viewpoints as possible when it comes to stuff like that and you're right yes the sam cook version it's so interesting that to me I don't know what it is about, again, the timber of Bob's voice is like you. I love that grit to it, that he brings it. But then, and I mentioned this on the episode we did on Blown on the Wind last year, where the Peter, Paul, and Mary version, no knock on them, just doesn't do much for me. It's no, just no. Too, It's just too sweet. It's too, it's just, you know. But then the Sam Cooke one is masterful. And yet he had an incredibly smooth voice. So it's it's not even so much the... <laughs> You know, it's not just smooth being a bad. It, there's one version of smooth rattles around in my head, and another one just slides right off. So I don't, I don't really understand it. But yeah, the Sam Cooke version is of that song is is unreal. It really is. So okay, so have you seen Bob live? I have not, but I am keeping my finger. Well, I, we know he's coming back to the U.S. right on this same tour this year, next year. I th- presume. I mean, it says the tour is going to continue into 2024. You have to assume he's going to wind back into America. You would think so. So I'm just crossing my fingers that maybe he'll show up in Chicago or something. That's maybe a four-hour drive for me. Maybe a a nightmare of a drive, but definitely worth it to to see Bob Dylan. And I kind of I want to prove a lot of people wrong. Like actually my dad, who, as I said, does not care for Dylan has seen him. I have a lot of close friends who don't really care for Dylan who have seen him, but they just didn't enjoy it. And I, I don't want to like compensate for that and bring myself into Bob's presence and just soak it up and truly enjoy it. 
why did your dad go to see him if he doesn't like him? That sounds like a terrible evening. I know. I really don't recall. Like he was in a in a phase. I remember he also went to see Billy Joel, I believe, who who I know you love and who I love. Do love Billy also. Joel? Yeah. But I just I didn't really understand. I feel like maybe it was something along the lines of he sort of felt like he should, which is a very, from what I understand, common reaction to anything related to Bob Dylan. Like, you know, he's so well regarded, mm. so popular. Oh, I, I should try to like him. And you no, know, that's, that's fine. I can't, I mean, of all like of the major rock <laughs> acts of the 60s, 70s, you know, that, that generation, the one I would put nearly the top of the list, a concert you should not go to if you don't <laughs> like the artist. It's Bob because he's not going to look again, not a knock on Billy Joel. I love Billy Joel. I know all of Billy Joel's songs by heart, but like Billy, if you're a, even a, not, I'm not even a fan. Even if you generally are kind of like, eh, Billy Joel, Billy Joel is going to deliver you a concert of the songs you're going to know played in the way you know them. And he'll right. throw in, he'll throw in a deep cut, you know, once in a blue moon, he'll play Rosalinda's Eyes or something. But generally, he's going to play the stuff you know. And so even if you're not a big fan of Billy Joel, you're like, well, that's what I heard on the radio, you know, but Bob, <laughs> Bob is not <laughs> going to do that. So I mean, if you don't like Bob Dylan and you're like, what is this Lenny Bruce song? What is <laughs> your father really setting himself up for disappointment? Yeah. I mean, what it, it, there's not. I don't know. It's not awful. I think if you go in with low expectations and I assume that was the case, but I'm going to have to ask him again, like push on this a little bit and just ask what, what the deal was with that. Uh, Fair enough. Well, Annie's dad, if you're listening to this episode, please let us know. (laughs) We have a contact form link in the show notes. Let us know what you, why you would subject yourself to this Bob Dylan concert. So, okay. (laughs) So, well, yeah, I hope that you get to see him when he, when he comes around again, because it is, it is an amazing experience. It really is. Uh, just I again, being in the same room imagine. with the guy, you know, the guy you're looking at on the cover of freewheeling, you know, this oh little fresh faced kid. And there's the guy, you know, there's the guy right there. It is, it is kind of amazing. So, okay. So down the highway, yeah. why, why down the highway? Oh, so many reasons. You know, I, One of the reasons actually was my sort of knee-jerk reaction to it when I first heard it, which was that, eh, not that interesting. I mean, how do you follow up? You know, I was like at 16, 17 when I was listening to Freewheeling over and over. I'd say I was kind of like a hippie in training who absolutely adored Masters of War. I mean, I bought into every word, every syllable of that. And like, how on earth do you follow up even Jesus would never forgive what you do and I'll stand up <laughs> your grave till I'm sure that you're dead you can't follow that up yet he does with a song that I think I said to you pretty much everyone would take or leave and probably when you know gun to their head they they would leave it and I think from what I understand Bob may even be a little ambivalent about it from what I've seen he hasn't performed it. I think there's maybe one author critic who claimed that he had, but it seems like the consensus is that he has never performed it. And I think that's wildly interesting, um, especially to go from one of the most iconic protest songs of all time to go into this um, lament about Italy 
Italy. Italy. Um, Italy. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's just an easy track to forget about. You have it bookended with Masters of War and then Bob Dylan's dream, which, you know, he riffs on later with his 115th dream, but it captures this, this slice of life, this single concern. And while it's like this relatively small moment, it's also a massive preoccupation because as we know, Bob and Susie Rotolo are on the cover of the album. Susie <laughs> is important. We can't forget that. So really, the whole time that Bob is recording this, he's thinking of how she is now gone. And what's extra fun, I think, is that really nothing about the song reflects the happiness of the album art. So you kind of have to reconcile that despair, that loneliness, that sort of lamentation with the true joy that is on the cover. I'm glad you mentioned uh, the placement of this song on the record, because I will admit for the longest time, I never, this song never did a whole lot for me. And I had to you know, revisit it. Uh, I mean, I've listened to it here and there when I would pl play freewheeling all the way through or something, but purposely for, you know, for this episode, I was like, all right, I'm going to dig deep on this and as you say, there's no live versions. So there's basically one version to hear. And according to uh, books I read, it was done in one take. So he got yes. it. He got it and got it done. But the placement of it, he did do this song no favors by, exactly. its, by his placement. Because the first three tracks on Freewheeling, Blown in the Wind, Girl from the North Country, Masters of War. I mean, three all-time bangers. And yes. then, then this little noodling thing, you're like, wait, well, hold on, <laughs> you know. So <laughs> that that's that to me is, I mean, I don't know what song. I mean, I maybe could have moved the hard rain's gonna fall though that up against Masters of War, but but I mean, it's like it's these three again all time great songs of anyone's career. It's hard to follow that up with a fourth one that's as good. Now I'm not gonna say this one isn't as good, but it's just it's it's its ambitions are smaller. Kind of, and just by the the tune of it, it's just Bob with that that kind of thing, ding, 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 you know, that kind of stop start sort of thing that yes. he's doing. It's so different than what of the three songs that precede it, and it's just sort of amazing. And you know, you mentioned Susie being—is uh, it Susie or Suze? I, I ever forget. I guess Susie. Susie. Um, you know, you mentioned Susie Rotolo being gone. You know, obviously he's deeply upset about this, and you got Contra the cover. Where they look so happy. And it, you know, I had to put myself in that mindset of I'm old enough to remember. I'm I'm old, I predate cell phones, you know, consciously. Hey. I, you know, live my life through predate cell phones. And for people of a certain vintage, like when someone was overseas, like you didn't hear from them. Because exactly. it's impossible. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, you could write letters, but Lord knows how long that takes. And you could call them, but that was a huge effort to call overseas. And so I could imagine this is 1962, 63, Bob Dylan. And this is probably the first woman that he feels is really, un you know, this, this is like the first real girlfriend he's had since becoming Bob Dylan sort of. And now she's gone. And here's this guy and he's, he's on a rocket ride to fame and fortune. And all of a sudden his partner who he deemed significant enough to put on his record album cover with him the only time he would ever do this she's gone and so that desolation 
is really apparent in the sparseness of the song. And it was something I haven't really appreciated until I was listening to it again for this episode. Yeah. And I, I really like what you mentioned here about how he's really becoming Bob Dylan at this moment. And I think my sense, of course, I can't, I can only speculate here. Um, my sense is, you know, he's acutely aware of the fact that he is really becoming Bob Dylan, but she is also. And I mean, I think I haven't read her memoir yet, but from what I understand, she talks about this at great length. And I imagine that, you know, in your early 20s, your identity, especially as you're gaining fame, like I think both of them were to some extent, but those identities are kind of bound up in the intensity, the heart capsizing of, of that first love. So I think they're really reckoning with all of that. And what's funny about this song is I think it's one of a small handful, maybe five or six from what I've seen that Bob wrote about Susie Rotolo and the others are just like runaway hits. So popular. This one does not even make her Wikipedia page, but the others are <laughs> don't think twice. It's all right. One too many mornings, boots of Spanish leather and tomorrow is a long time. So those are all just beloved songs that of course they show up and are listed on her Wikipedia page. But this one just, it gets no love, man. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate you wanting to fight for the, you know, the <laughs> listener songs. I mean, Bob himself must have liked this a, a lot because the Freewheeling Bob Dylan as an album, I mean, he records the first record, which goes nowhere, you know, really doesn't sell any kind. I mean, he, he made, he became, it was kind of a big deal among his social circle and that he landed this Columbia contract. And then he puts this first record out Apparently doesn't sell hardly much of anything. Columbia Records is is kind of looking at John Hammond like, really, this guy? You're going <laughs> to go to the mat for this kid, you know, with this horrible voice and whatever. And so Bob knew, well, when I do it, the next record, it's got to count. And boy, howdy, you know, does he st- step up to the plate here? But this record was made across two very distinct sets of sessions separated by about a three month period. They were done in like June, July, and then he then then nothing and then he came back in october and so when the the when he was working on the album in the summer it was originally going to be called bob dylan's blues and it was going to be all kind of more bluesy songs and that's when he records this and at that time then he's cranking out songs at just a feverish pace a couple of months go by he comes back to the studio and they realize okay he's now he's now come up with all these other songs that are in his mind of greater quality and the Bob Dylan's blues concept gets sort of jettisoned and the record eventually morphs into f- the freewheeling and the balance gets, gets altered quite a bit, but this song stays. This is a blues song and this one stayed. So obviously, despite the fact, again, that he's never, he did never performed it live. He obviously felt it, 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 it managed to go through all those hurdles of all the other songs getting cut, left behind, this one stays on. So obviously he 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 liked it. Now it's a shame again he, he left it by the side of the road after the record was over. But if this had been anything lesser than, we know that Bob would have jettisoned it because he does it for a million other songs. A hundred percent. I actually didn't know that. I knew there were two different sessions, but I didn't know the stylistic differences between the two. So that. That's fascinating. That makes it even more compelling, as you say, that he held on, that he really 
clung to this. I love that. I mean, I don't know how much of the back and forth between him and John Hammond there was in terms of what's going on the record, but this is something obviously it meant something to him. And obviously he was able to, what are the feelings that he was having at the time? I mean, I don't, I'm not, I personally don't, I've read bios of Bob, but I don't know his personal life chapter and verse the way some people do. I'm just not as interested in that. So I'm not sure when Susie came back. I don't know whether by the time October rolls around, she's back. And at that point, but he holds on, he holds on to that. And right. again, the, the desolation of the song. I mean, the, the second verse is, well, my streets are getting empty or, or your Lord, your highway's getting filled. Uh, the way I love that woman, I swear it's bound to get me killed. Um, yes. <laughs> I've been gambling so long. Lord, I ain't got much more to lose. Uh, right now I'm having trouble. Please don't t- take away my highway shoes. And so I love that he is trading in all of these cliches. You know, he's, the other songs, he's inventing this new language. He's bringing things to songs that have never been heard before. But for this song, he is just digging deep in every old blues record that he heard and transforming it into something else. And again, it's it's such a nice change up from what we've been hearing to not again those first three are masterpieces, but it's a nice gear shift to something else. Yeah, and I think this is part of maybe his uh awareness and paying tribute to maybe a tradition of less white music, which which seems pretty apt for Bob. What I've read about this, I wish I had the theoretical know-how to really explain this in detail, but it sounds like the chord progression is in the form of the 12-bar blues um, in the style of people think Robert Johnson or Big Joe Williams, which I think that sounds pretty accurate to me. So, I, you know, he's picking up something totally different from... Like, again, just hearkening back to the idea of my my parents being folkies. I think there are so many tracks on this album that I could sell them on. I think this would not be one of them. I think it's too bluesy, too, maybe, it's honestly jarring after, especially after Blowing in the Wind and Girl from the North Country. Um, And then, of course, after the emotional charge of Masters of War. There, Yeah, it's just, it's totally different. Um, but I do think he's experimenting with style, get, getting away from that true, intense, pure Bob folk that, of course, we love. But it's a really interesting experiment, if nothing else. I think it's hard for I mean, I guess, you know, there's got to be examples where I've been fooled. But I, I think that when someone um, and we all know, again, that Bob was telling all these tall tales to people about his background. You know, to this point where he's like, oh, you know, he jumped a freight train in Gallup, New Mexico, and uh, he he worked in a circus and all this bullshit that he was giving people <laughs> to make him sound interesting. And you could argue that he is, you know, he's coming to New York and he's putting on this persona as this guy that's done all these hard bitten things. And he's kind of this Woody Guthrie type when he himself was, a you know, a kid from a relatively prosperous family. You know, he didn't really have that deprivation of the persona that he's putting on. And, you know, I guess, I guess it all depends on, on how people hear it, but it, I guess to some people it could sound phony, you know, it could sound like, ah, this is, he's like a dilettante and this is just kind of a thing that he's doing. But for this, I mean, like then the next verse where he says, I'm, I'm bound to get lucky, Lord, I'm, I'm bound to die trying. Well, meet me in the middle of the ocean and we'll leave this old highway behind. That feels real to me. You know, he's he's using language of guys that were kind of on the margins of society and were facing 
you know, death in some ways. And, you know, again, this is like a 22 year old kid, but I, it sounds plausible to me. And I love the, the idea of meet me in the middle of the ocean and believe this old highway behind the idea of, as I said earlier, like this guy is on a rocket ride. He's just now starting a, to lead a life that is going to be nearly unmatched in the history of pop culture. And he's already talking about, let's ditch all this. You know, let's already skip all this and go away. And that's, you know, it's a powerful sentiment. Maybe he was even a little afraid. This is what he wanted, but he's about to get it. And that could be a little scary. So I love that bit of the idea of like, hey, Susie, let's just, you know, maybe we could just ditch all this anyway. Exactly. I mean, he wants his highway shoes. He is ready to go from coast to coast, the Golden Gate Bridge to the Statue of Liberty in pursuit of this burning love. And I think that's like really fantastic. Every 22 year old should have the opportunity to say just how much they want to trek 3000 miles to be with their girl. (laughs) Uh, There's a quote from Bob uh, that he gave to uh, Nat Hentoff, where he says, talking about even this song particularly, where he says, what uh, made the real blues singer so great is that they were able to state all the problems they had. But at the same time, they were standing outside of them and could look at them. And in that way, they had them beat, which is uh, a marvelous quote. You know, I mean, you're really like, wow, yeah, this is being able to kind of look at your own troubles and and recognize them and even write about them. That does put them in a box to a certain extent. And you you had them beat. I just think that's an amazing way to look at things. And it's a serve everybody quite well. That is now have you gone on? to like did this inspire you to go to listen to other types of music that bob was influenced by or or did it did it spread out from there i actually would like to attempt to make the claim that sam cook inspired this song so i'm i'm kind of reading it intertextually with um somebody have mercy which is a sam cook song that was released on his album twist in the night away in april of or of 1962 and it with anybody but bob we would think that three months would be way too quick of a turnaround time between april and july for him to crank out a song like this but we have to remember that Susie rotolo for anyone who doesn't know, which you probably don't, why would you? She left in June of 1962. So maybe there's a margin of at most four weeks between her leaving and his recording this song in one take. And we know Bob, he's always absorbing everything that is happening around him, especially in literary and musical contexts. And we know that they really do have this rich musical dialogue throughout the whole second half of the 20th century. So I really think there's there's a phrase that they both use in a similar structure that they both repeat. And I will definitely go into this in more detail, but it's um, it's the phrase with, with a suitcase in my hand. They both mm. use it in the same way. And like, maybe we can listen to a bit of somebody have mercy so that you can hear exactly what I'm alluding to, but it it's just almost hauntingly similar when I, you know, it had been maybe a good five years or so since I'd really sat down and listened to freewheeling um, in depth before like a month, maybe two months ago. And I heard down the highway again, and I immediately thought of Sam Cooke just because, uh, cause I've been 
really obsessed with Sam Cooke lately and listening to a few of his albums pretty much nonstop. And that was just immediately striking. I just, the cadence, um, the meter, so much about the poetic and musical similarities make me think, okay, there's at least an argument for some kind of intertext here. And it's one that I'm not sure that anyone else has given any time to yet. So it's kind of exciting. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not that familiar with Sam Cooke outside of the, like the big songs, but I, I never would have thought to make that connection. We know that Bob liked was big fan and they were kind of trading influences back and forth. Yes. Uh, and as you say, we know that Bob at the time was writing songs, as he used to say, three before lunch. Exactly. Or, I think he even said three before breakfast, if you want to take the braggadocio <laughs> even further. Uh, so I think it's entirely possible that he could have heard that and just that one line stuck in his head. And then the next morning he jots it down and he sticks it in this song. That's, that is more than possible when you're talking about this period in, in his songwriting. Yeah, so what I see between Somebody Have Mercy and Down the Highway, just beyond the, once I thought about that line in common between them, I was like, okay, this might be something. But then just this wealth of similarities showed itself in a way that I'm finding compelling. One thing that they do is they really follow almost the exact same structure, just poetically. I'm I'm a PhD candidate in English. I study poetry pretty closely. So this is kind of my jam. This is what mm-hmm. I get really excited about. One thing is they both use refrain and alternating lines. I mean, think about down the highway, for example, the the very first verse that you've already read, I'm walking down the highway with my suitcase in my hand, walking down the highway with my suitcase in my hand, really just alternating, saying the same thing twice. And Sam Cooke does the um, exact same thing, opening the song with somebody have mercy and tell me what is wrong with me. Somebody have mercy and tell me what is wrong with me. And um, I, I don't know, like, just it may not seem like much, but it was definitely these similarities were more than enough to kind of recall interwoven memories of both anytime I hear either one. And, you know, um, the, the thrust of each song is quite similar. Somebody have mercy is, you know, has a speaker who's really reluctantly admitting to being truly and fully at the mercy of his lover, as well as the pain she inflicts on him. Hmm. He pleads for somebody to have mercy and tell him what is wrong with him and reveals he has deep feelings of attachment and pain that are truly new to him. And I really feel like that's the same thing we get with this 12 bar bluesy tune from Bob that again, I, I feel like we can't overstate that, you know, he could have scrapped this song and, and he held on to it. There's something very real here. Um, Bob Speaker, which since we he has come out and said this is him, this is himself, he just can't even fully, I think this is something you said, Rob, like to- can't totally come to grips with the power he feels that Rotolo has on him and especially her absence has over sort of the realities of his day-to-day and his emotional well-being now. Um, I think you highlighted this line, well, the way I love that woman, I swear it's bound to get me killed. Sam Cooke has a fairly similar one with sometimes I don't know how I stand the things this woman do to me. Like, it's just, <laughs> it just can't. And I think it's really cool that we're hearing 
these eminently masculine singers being like, yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm a little reluctant, but I am going to admit that, you know, this woman's in charge now. And that was <laughs> a very feminist Bob Dylan fan. This is, this is just lovely for me. And, you know, I would, I'm sure Bob Dylan, I, I don't know if he's ever come down anywhere on uh, um, a position, but I, I would imagine him to be a feminist. But anyway, that, that's a major tangent, but it's just like when I see anything like that come out, um, I get excited and I, I also concede that maybe this thematic similarity between the two makes like a tenuous at best connection. But I really, I really think the connection with the suitcase in my hand line, um, Sam Cooke does, I'm going down to the bus station with a suitcase in my hand. I'm going down to the bus station with a suitcase in my hand where in down the highway, we hear I'm walking down the highway with my suitcase in my hand and repeating that. So I really, I really think that again, it's one of those things where we don't really have any idea whether Bob is consciously um, paying tribute to Sam Cook, but I'm sure all of us who our creative folks can relate to the idea of having something just buzzing around between your ears and accidentally, accidentally putting it in our own work. And um, if you don't mind my actually going out on a minor tangent here, I think this is where Bob Dylan detractors would, would interject and, uh, throw in one of their second favorite argument, second only to uh, he can't sing, which, you know, <laughs> wildly unoriginal and, and to me at this point just boring. Um, his, he's a plagiarist. I hear this all the time and I, I'm just so tired of it because that's, that would assume that he does, that he is not at all aware of what he's doing and why he's doing it. I think we all have to, realize how well-read, literate, um, everything like that, obviously, that Bob is. And there's such an important distinction between being an outright plagiarist and taking inspiration from another artist. And I just, I feel like those folks who who say that about Dylan, like one of my favorites, Joni Mitchell, very much included in this, um, just... Uh, fall a little short of the mark of what really makes Bob to me so lovely. Like it's one of the greatest joys of literature or music for me to discover like small moments that can strike maybe a literal chord in someone like Bob Dylan, like such a chord that he couldn't resist incorporating it into his own work. Yeah. I mean, he's been doing this from the beginning. I mean, here we are right nearly the beginning of his career. He's doing it up until 20 till rough and ratty ways he's been doing it this whole time yeah and he's recontextualizing these things i mean i never when you mentioned to me off air that you had this connection to sam cook i'm like where okay where's that gonna go because i just could not imagine what you would be talking about and then so you're telling me you know there's this line from a song and you know we have no idea whether bob pulled it from sam cook or heard the sam cook but you made the connection your brain made the connection 
And that's what Bob's does is that he hears these yes. things and then it inserts himself into his work, sometimes probably blindly, other times not so much. You know, he's consciously taking these things. He's hearing these things and you talk about it. he's a sponge. He's hearing these things and he's melting it down to his own work. And that's, we all do that. We all do that in our own way. Not lit, you know, not in a literal case where we're like lyrics because I'm not writing songs or something, but we all take inspiration from things and then put it in our own creative expression in its own way. So your brain made that connection, you know, and that, that's fantastic. I mean, he said, maybe you and Bob have that in common. You both heard that line and went, oh, that just rattled around in your head a little. And Bob just had the opportunity to say, well, put it in a song. But for you, it's it's there as well. Yeah, exactly. And it's just extra fun to me as much as I enjoy a song like I Contain Multitudes, which, of course, we all adore, I think. It does. <laughs> it has almost a, an offensive amount of actual attribution. Mm-hmm. The songs of experience from Blake and all of that. What I like, of course, I love the song, but I also I find it a little more fun to dig a little deeper. It's like he it's like he has these little Easter eggs for the people in the know or something. And of course, again, he may not have done it intentionally. He may have no idea that there's a Sam, a, an, an intention, an unintentional Sam Cook reference here, but it's there. And it's just, there's such an eerie similarity between the two and a wonderful similarity. Absolutely. Um, and the one, the one verse particularly, I think that anyone who is familiar with the song, thinks about the most is the penultimate one. And I specifically wanted to mention in here where he says, you know, the ocean took my baby, the baby stole my heart from me. Uh, my, you know, then he says it again, she packed it all up in a suitcase. Lord, she took it away to Italy, Italy. He says it twice. (laughs) And that, you know, I think the last time I listened to the song had been quite a while and I had forgotten about that. And so when I listened to it again, I thought, what a strange weird little vocal tick to kind of do this like you're singing it and then then just to throw in that second italy and you really do get the sense of like that was i mean they're in the they're they're in the official lyrics here on bobdylan.com but that really does feel like an ad lib that he just threw that in in the last second just to kind of italy italy and then you're like wow i'm really in the room with this guy as he's just sort of ruminating about this feeling of loss that he's got and it really makes the song so distinctive because you're just when else do you hear that you know you don't really hear a lot in polished songs where someone just sort of drop repeats a word seemingly just off the cuff oh i'm with you a hundred percent i do think that was completely ad-libbed just done in the moment and it's almost like it's almost a song of disdain for a country (laughs) and then Italy. Like, man, I just, like, if Italy were a person, man, I've got five knuckles, you know? Like, he's ready to take on Italy. Again, he's ready to go from the Golden Gate Bridge to the Statue of Liberty to go across the ocean, but took his baby and his baby stole his heart from him. And, oh, it's, it's, there's, there's a, there's a deceptive number of things going on in a song where at first listen, it sounds like there's almost nothing. It's just fun. Yeah. And it's a, it's three minutes and 20 seconds. You know, again, it's very distinctive. And then as you mentioned, it goes into Bob Dylan's dream and then it's hard rain's going to fall. And we kind of go off on this of his more kind of re- songs of a more recent vintage. But this thing is kind of it. I don't want to I mean, be like it. It's a valley because that has kind of a pejorative sound to it. But it is like it's headed somewhere. And then we're in this really 
desolate emotional place and then we start picking back up again and it kind of again it balances out side one really quite nicely so i will say i have to thank you for suggesting this one Andy, because this was not a song i had a whole lot of appreciation for and listening to it a bunch of times in preparation is like all right i'm kind of getting where i all right i'm getting bob's groove here on this one he does have a groove let's give him that like (laughs) he can he can bring his groove even in his least appreciated songs and i think that's it's what down the highway gives us and i i will never listen to it the same way again after having done this episode and gosh it's tremendous i love it <laughs> bob you know pull this out once in a while bob come on what do you yeah. do you know <laughs> got lots of you can vary up the set list a little bit you know play the you know pull this one out why not somebody in the band should recommend uh, him to, to play this. It'd be kind of fun to hear this again. And like some like a up, weird up tempo version, he would probably do it at a certain point. Uh, so, but uh, yeah, that is, that is down the highway. Um, before we wrap up here, um, is there anything else you want to say about this song? Just, you know, I, I hope I, I'm keeping my fingers crossed for this last leg and a half of the rough and rowdy ways tour. Like you never know. He's a, a man of, of whims. Maybe he'll just, <laughs> whip it out and maybe I'll even get to see it. Who knows? I, don't, I think that pretty much covers what, what I would like to say about it, but I, I'm also never going to stop thinking about it and probably having new ideas. And that's another thing that's just so amazing about listening to Bob. It sort of never ends. It's constantly generative. <laughs> At, that's, it truly is never ending. It's a, the, the tour is aptly named. So, uh, well, Annie, thank you so much for doing this. This is really exciting. I'm happy to have you on the show. So thank you for, again, thank you for doing this. And why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet? Yeah. Thank you, Rob. This was an absolute blast. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Annie, get your pun, all one word. <laughs> um, you can, if you're interested, I've given you a very small taste of the type of academic work I do. You can find me at annieburkhart.com and at ieburkhart.com. I do have one burning question for you, Rob, before I do a little bit of a shameless plug. Just one quick question. Okay. Yeah. I am wondering how like what the brainstorming process was, if there was a protracted one on landing on the name Pod Dylan, obviously it's a very fun play on words, but I'm wondering, like, did you throw around the idea of like the Bobcast? How did you come up? How did you get married to the, after the colon a riot in more ways than one? I, I promised I would ask. So I'm really curious. No, yeah, no one's ever asked me that. I, you know, I wish I could remember. I mean, I think back when I was creating new podcasts, I just wanted to get, and sort of unimaginatively wanted to get the word pod in there as best as possible <laughs> or, or cast. Some of my other shows are called like Treasury Cast, Mash Cast. I mean, it's kind of boring, but it telling people what it is. It's the thing, you know, the subject, and then it's a cast. Yeah, there was just some, there was something about the simplicity of it. I mean, you always want to keep the names short. And it just Pod Dylan sounded, if you don't listen carefully, it sounds like his name. Uh, <laughs> to me, it, it, it conveyed to me what the show was in the least amount of words. So that's, that's oh, what it was. That's so. great. So, I, all right. Well, I have a question for you. Now, I know there's something else you want to plug, but before we yeah. get to that, I want to make sure we get to that. But before that, I do have to ask you a question, which is, sure. so if there's any recording session that Bob Dylan has ever done, that you could sit in on, you could just be a fly on the wall for, what would that be? 
Oh, the basement tapes easily. Because I mean, then we get the band in there with them. It's, it's a nice double shot of absolutely everybody. I, I don't know enough about the basement tapes to say like, this is the exact day I wish I would have sat in on. I guess if I could pick one, a recent favorite of mine is, um, I'm not there. So if I could just be in the room as they are coming up with that song and as Garth Hudson hits record as he is so delighted to recall if anyone has seen, um, I think it's a Rolling Stone interview with him from maybe 2017, 2019, sometime in there. He loves recalling hitting record on the tape player and the rest is history. So yes, I, I would give any body part to, uh, to a better for that. That's a great answer. I mean, again, the, you know, the basement tapes are the basement. Tapes, so you get to see all of them, but yeah, being in the room, to watch him literally write lyrics as he's in in front of you, that would be amazing to see him yeah. shoot the words out of his mouth and try to make them sound like anything. The actual definition of writing three, maybe 16 songs before breakfast. Like he was absolutely <laughs> unstoppable. And gosh, there, there are few more brilliant collaborations than that of Bob Dylan and the band. Absolutely. So, okay. So we said before we wrap up here, what was the other thing you wanted to plug? Yeah. So just in the past couple of days, fellow, if I am allowed to say fellow Bobcat, uh, Peter White and I have decided to start a Bob Dylan book club of which Rob has already kindly agreed to be a part we are calling it It's All Right, Ma, I'm Only Reading. We were really excited <laughs> when we landed on that. Chef's kiss, Annie, chef's kiss. Oh, God, I know. It's just, it's beautiful. Chef's kiss all the way. Um, we're aiming to be a truly unapologetic community of Bob love, inclusive, welcoming, a nice space for discussing Bob as he's seen and interpreted in print. Uh, Peter and I will try to facilitate lively and respectful discussions of text and encourage everyone to show up curious and excited, of course. How could you not be with talking about Bob? We really hope at some point to bring in authors and critics as we gain traction. And our tentative goal is to host monthly meetings on Zoom so that if anyone is interested, please reach out to me either on Twitter at Annie Get Your Pun. There's also a contact form on my website or I just maybe an hour ago, an hour ago, created a Twitter account for this book club, which you can find at only reading Bob one word. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. I, I was really excited at that idea and uh, I've never been part of a book club before. Uh, <laughs> so this is a new experience for me, but I'm looking forward to it because it's going to give me an excuse to read a bunch of Bob books that I've been meaning to get to. And I've just not 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 had the time for. So uh, I'm really looking forward to this. So very exciting. And again, the name, absolutely perfect. So welcome, oh. you and Peter. <laughs> it's fantastic. So, well, again, Annie, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. It was great talking to you. You too, Rob. Thank you so much. I had an absolute blast. Great. So uh, just before we wrap up here, I just do uh, want to do uh, one plug for this show. Is uh, It's still June. We're getting near the end of the month. And this, we're getting near the end of the Pod Dylan Pride Month contest. And I mentioned this over on my Substack because I have one of those now. Uh, and, uh, the, the, uh, what I'm doing is all you have to do to be entered in this contest is to make a donation 
at the uh, HRC, the Human Rights Campaign, uh, in any amount, doesn't matter, and just send me, uh, again, uh, as I mentioned, there is uh, my email address in the show notes. There's the contact form on fmpots.com where you can reach me or on Twitter and just send me some sort of proof of receipt that you made a donation, again, in any amount, and you will be entered in a drawing, and I will pick one winner out of that group, and that winner, let me stop here, I did this contest last year for Equality Texas, and the prize was you could discuss any Bob Dylan song you want, even if a song we'd already covered, and that's why Pete Bylone and I uh, discussed ISIS a couple of weeks ago, and Pete went down that road of madness talking about ISIS for like 90 minutes, Uh, (laughs) and it was a great episode, but I'm expanding it to where this time you can pick if you are selected as the winner and I will pick randomly, you can pick anything from Bob Dylan to discuss a song, a TV guest appearance, a movie, a book, a painting, um, a, a, a commercial, uh, you know, anything that Bob has been tangentially attached to in some way. Uh, is up for grabs. And I think that will make for a fun episode. And we've already gotten some donations into the HRC and I'm very, very happy about that. So uh, if you want to enter in the contest, again, check, uh, you can look for the uh, link on my Twitter feed, going to the Substack, which gives the information, but just go to HRC, the human rights campaign, make a donation, send it into me and you'll be entered in the drawing. It ends on uh, Friday, June 30th. And then I will make, I will pick a winner not too long after that. And we will do the episode. So uh, please go make donations, everybody. Uh, you're even if you don't uh, quote unquote win, you're still doing a good thing. So please check that out. So uh, that is going to do it. Of course, you can find the show over on Twitter at pod underscore Dylan. All the back episodes are on our website, fmpods.com. So that is going to do it. Thanks everybody for listening and we will see you later. Bye. Oh, he sleeps in the sand.